Hey, what's up, guys? This is Pastor Austin from Good Shepherd Church, and this is our podcast. So happy you're tuning in this week to stay caught up on what the Lord's doing in us and through us. I hope this content encourages you. I hope it challenges you, builds up your love for Jesus. Hope you enjoy the message. We love you. Good morning, everybody. My name is John Hummel. I'm the executive pastor here at Good Shepherd Church. And part of Austin's contract when he was first hired on was that he doesn't preach on his birthday. And so with that, I'm pre- No, I'm just kidding. But uh, we, we had the schedule, but I get to preach uh, this morning, and we are continuing in the series that we've been in for a while. Am I? I'm fine? Okay. Uh, and one of the traditions that we started in this series is that we've had a member of the congregation come up and read for us the portion of Scripture that we're in this morning. So I've asked David Halsey to come on up, and he will read from Colossians 4, verses 2 through 6. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray for also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Thank you, David. You can have a seat. Yeah. So uh, this morning I get to preach on some wonderful stuff. Uh, It's a shorter uh, passage of Scripture, but it's filled with a lot of really great things. And to start things off, there's a theme that we see throughout Paul's letters, and that is this idea of continuing steadfastly in prayer. Prayer is so important that we are constantly reminded that we need to give it special attention in order that we do not start slacking. Prayer is at the heart of our relationship with God. It is the conversation piece of getting to know who he is. We can read about his character in the Bible. We can see him evident in other people. But this is the part where we get to actually talk with God to know who he is. And just like in every relationship, we need to actually invest in it in order to grow. If we are not actively and readily communicating with God, it will lead us to allowing our hearts to love something or someone else more. We see this same trend in earthly relationships. 65% of all divorces list communication breakdowns as a factor in their divorce. Part of the reason for this is because whatever problems you're having, whatever is going on in your life, if you can talk about it, if you can talk through it, you can address it. You can't talk through communication if you're not communicating. So if we are to love God with all our hearts, we have to be willing and eager to talk to him, to get to know him, to know what he needs to work on us, in us, through. So spending time with him is so important in prayer. But how does this actually look? What does our prayer need to look like? Well, Paul gives us a couple of key components. The first is when he says to be watchful. Watchful can more accurately be translated as wakeful or alert. This is exactly the problem that the disciples had when Jesus went to pray in the garden before he was arrested and crucified. It says multiple times the disciples fell asleep while they were praying with Jesus. 
you know, as I read, as I read that, I've always been kind of like incredulous, like who falls asleep while praying? Like, how is that a problem? And, uh, but in, in reading this, I kind of realized that I might be a little bit convicted in that area because maybe I just don't pray long enough. Maybe I'm not giving God enough of my time in a given portion to actually even have the problem where I'm starting to fall asleep. And so that was just a challenge that I just felt like God was laying in my heart that I felt was for everybody this morning, that no matter how long your prayer time is, I just felt like God was challenging us this morning to give him more time. Whether it's a few minutes in the evening, whether you have half and half hour session, however long it is, give him more. He wants more. He needs more. He deserves more. We need more. He doesn't need it. We need it. And he wants it from us. Another piece of this wakefulness is, uh, this wakeful alertness addresses not simply going through rote prayer. Uh, I think that if you've been a Christian longer or if you've been in church longer, this is a problem that might be more of an issue for you than if you're a brand new Christian. The longer you've been a Christian, the more you've probably learned that there are ways people pray. You may have a, a prayer that you do before dinner. You may have a prayer that you do before you go to bed. Uh, an example, a personal example is Annie, my wife and I, we have a prayer that we pray for our kids every single night. We pray that Abe and Evie would be smart, funny, fun, athletic, kind, and wise, but most of all, that they would love, know, and share you, Lord Jesus, that you would give them talent and purpose for your glory. When I said that first service, my kids were in here and they were mouthing it. I could see them. They were sitting in the front row because we say it every night. And this is a great prayer. This is a prayer that we really feel like God has placed on our hearts for our children. This is something that we have for them. But every night, I try to surround that piece of prayer with something different. I try to make sure that it's not all the same. That piece stays the same because it's something God has called us to. But what I pray before that and what I pray after that, I'm constantly trying to shift. Not, not just to be different, but so that I'm actually thinking about what I'm praying. So that I don't just say those words with my mouth and not feel them in my heart. That the whole prayer is a conversation to God. And this might not just affect prayers that you've thought up or things that you do personally. Uh, it even happens with the most important prayer given to us in the Bible. If you know this prayer... This is an interactive portion. I don't just do the preaching. You get to participate here. But I'll get us started, and we're going with the trespasses version. So that'll clear things up. First service, it was a mess. It was a train wreck during that part. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, say this with me. Ready? Our Father, who art in heaven... Amen. Great job. That is the prayer that Jesus gave to us. He said it is how we should pray. The Lord's Prayer is great. If prayer is important, which it is, and Jesus told us how to do it, that means it is one of the most important things that we can learn. But we need to go beyond just memorization and regurgitation. 
most of us can probably say that prayer while weaving in and out of traffic and actually thinking about what we want for dinner. Again, this goes back to the idea of having a true conversation. Conversation means you listen and react. Have you ever been caught saying, uh-huh, yeah, sure, okay, yeah, yeah, only to realize you have no idea what's going on? Yep, I've, I've been there. It's, it's not good. The aftermath really isn't good, but it's, it's just not good. Prayer isn't just saying words to God. It's about aligning our hearts with the creator of the universe. Now, again, the Lord's Prayer, those prayers are so important. Like in conversations that we have with other people, sometimes you just need a conversation starter. When you, when you meet someone, sometimes the first thing you say is, hey, how's it going? Or how was your work week? These, are, these aren't necessarily things that you're super interested in. It's just a way to get started. Also, when you're talking to someone and you're going into a conversation, you might think, oh, I need to remember to say this to someone. Or, oh, I can't forget. I have to ask them about this thing. That's some of what these memorized prayers can help us with. It's, it's a good way to get the conversation started, to remember what we need to say and, and what we should say. But we need to always be vigilant and eager to move beyond niceties and move into the meat of conversation. Another uh, key that we see Paul give us here is that with prayer, we need to be engaging with the idea of being thankful. There's another verse in 1 Thessalonians that uh, reiterates this idea. It says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18, rejoice always, pray without ceasing. Again, that's to that steadfast prayer. But then it says, give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So often when we pray, we get caught up in what we want from God, and we don't take the time to thank him for what he's done, let alone listen to what he's speaking to us. When we take the time to be thankful, it reminds us of who we are actually talking to. God is not some cosmic errand boy or some genie. God is the God we can thank for all life, for all of nature's majesty, for each and every one of our favorite things, from family to friends, music to taste buds. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. Not because we deserve them, but because God loves us and he wants to do good things for us. Thankfulness takes our, us out of our situation and makes us realize what God has done and what he can do. It gives us a better perspective on what we are praying for and how we should be praying for it. It reminds us that while we don't see God face to face while we pray, we can see what he does. We can know that he is listening and responding. When we enter into prayer with an attitude of thankfulness, we are reminded that this is not a one-way conversation. God is there. He acts, he speaks, and he hears us. So this kind of begs the question of, well, then what did Paul ask for prayer for? Like, what was, what was he asking for prayer? And one of the things that Paul does urge the Colossians to pray for is for him and his ministry. 
I didn't really gas grasp this concept until I was much older, even though I grew up in the church. I always thought it was the pastors and the church who pray for the people. You know, in a normal worldview, this makes a lot of sense. I don't take my car to the mechanic, and while he's working on my car, I don't start working on his as well. Hector, you're welcome. I would destroy the car. That would be terrible. But prayer is not a specialized skill. It's not something that only the pros do. It's much more like a basic need. It's like breathing. There, there are people who are better at breathing than I am. They have learned to control their breathing really well. They can calm themselves down in the situation. Uh, athletes control their breathing so that they can compete in sports much, much better. There are ways to get better at breathing. Similarly, there are ways to get better at praying. But if we decided to leave breathing to the pros, we would die. You cannot live without breathing. And, and just like that, everyone needs to pray. Everyone needs to be prayed for. We need to be actively praying for each other. This church prays for you, and you hopefully are praying for this church. Austin, myself, all the staff, we need your prayers. We are striving to follow the calling that God has placed in our lives the same way each of you needs to be following the calling that God has placed in your life. I'm asking for all of you to include Good Shepherd Church in your regular prayers. Pray for us that we might do the good work that God has laid before us the same way we are praying that you would do the same with what God has laid before you. As I read over these verses and as I study them, I notice that there is a word that gets repeated once for Paul and once for the Colossians, and that word is ought. The first place we see it is in Paul's appeal for prayer, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. This ought is talking about a direct action that Paul has been called by God. Ought has two main parts, correctness and duty. The correctness aspect tells me that there is a correct way and a wrong way to speak about God. God has called Paul to speak his truth. It's not Paul's truth, the Lord's truth. The Lord's gospel, which Paul understood is a daunting task, considering he's the one who wrote, who can know the mind of God? Paul wants all the prayer he can get to make sure he gets it right and is led by the Holy Spirit in all that he is saying. 1 Timothy 4.16 says, Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this. For by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. It is so important to have clear and true preaching in whatever church you're at not just for those who are preaching, but also for those who are listening. This is something that we here at Good Shepherd want to have. We want to have a clear and true message. The out here also conveys duty. This is a job that needs to be done by Paul. It is part of his purpose. And this extends beyond just those of us who are called to preach and teach. God has called each of us to serve him, but not all in the exact same way. 
verses 3 and 4, Paul is asking for prayer for himself and those who are called to preach and teach. Not everyone is called to this kind of ministry, which is good news, since in James chapter 3, verse 1, we are told, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. So right now, you're not up here. You can take a deep, deep breath, let it out. You won't be judged with greater strictness. Good news. Paul is asking for specific, specific prayer for a specific ministry, and we all each and every one of us should pray this way. I encourage you to know what your gifts are and what your calling is and to ask for prayer that you might become more gifted and more filled with the Holy Spirit no matter what your gifts and calling are. We want our church to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. God has made each of us for his purpose. And we each have a specific calling, and we need to be praying for each other to fulfill that calling. You may have heard this saying, get the right man for the job. Well, God has the right man or woman for the job that he called you to. Spoiler alert, it's you. <laughs> Hebrews 13, 20 through 21 says, now may the God of peace who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with every good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And again, in 2 Timothy 3.16, we read, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. I lost my spot. So that, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. God has not only given us a task that we need to do, but he is good. And he has equipped us with everything we need to fulfill it. Again, see, this is where thankfulness helps us to see this so much better. Remember what he has done and be thankful for it for all that he does, for all that he's given us, for all that he's doing, so that we can believe that he will continue to provide for all we need to do his will. But before we all think that this is something, in this case, specifically telling others about Jesus, that is not your main calling, that means, oh, I'm off the hook. I have a specific calling, and it's not preaching. You're not fully off the hook, because we need to look at the next bit a little bit more closely. There's another ought in this passage, but this one isn't about direct teaching. It's about responding. Not everyone of you, I doubt, will ever find yourself in a random situation where suddenly you're in front of 50 people and you have to give a lesson on what it means when the Bible says, God is love. It's just not going to happen by happenstance. That's good news. But every person in here can envision a time where you're going to be sitting with a friend, family member, coworker, and they're going to look at you and say, you know what? I just can't believe that God loves me. It's the ability to answer this question about your faith that is something each and every follower of Christ is required to do. All of us needs to be willing and able to have a conversation with those around us about our faith. 
But notice that this stresses a totally different tactic for responding to those questions, as opposed to when you're teaching. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. The emphasis here is much more on behavior rather than knowledge. Now hear me, I gave a whole message on apologetics. I am not diminishing the importance of correct and sound theology. There are right and wrong ways to answer questions about our faith, even if you're not preaching a full message. The same aspect of ought, meaning correctness, applies here as well. But you don't always have to have the perfect theological answer right away. I don't know is okay to say initially, but then we need to strive to find the right answer. But truly, for most of us, people aren't asking questions that are terribly hard or terribly theological. They're simply looking for the honest truth of what God has done in your life. In 1 Peter, when it says that we should always be ready to give a offense to anyone who asks for the hope that is in you, it is not about declaring the mysteries of Christ, which is mentioned in these verses in, uh, in this passage, but it is about knowing about the hope in you. God has done something in you. This series, Austin has talked a lot about we need to put to death the old self. We need to put on Christ. This is the response we all need to be able to articulate, that how we were once mired in death and sin, and now we are alive in Christ. Christ is and always will be the most important and best testimony that any of us will ever give. It seems to me that there's a very good reason that these verses come in the order that they do. And if you become nervous or intimidated about either fulfilling the calling that God has placed in your life or the challenge of talking to anyone who asks you about your faith, I think that you can find a bit of solace in the ordering here. The first two verses, or the first uh, three verses, two through four, are about talking to God about people. It says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Most, if not all, of what we pray for has something to do with people. If you're praying, right away, there's at least one person involved. God wants to bring our lives to him. We see this in Matthew when Jesus is talking with his disciples about worrying. It says in Matthew 6, 25 through 34, Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not... Are, are, are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field, they do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. 
if that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Human beings are the most valuable part of God's creation. He knows all our needs and sent his own son to die so that we can have restored relationship with him. He knows all our needs. He knows everything that is going on in our lives and in this world. But he still wants us to talk with him about them. God describes himself as a jealous God. Jealousy means he wants to keep what is his. Sometimes people confuse this with envy. And envy is wanting what you don't have. That's not God. God has all things. All things are made through him and for him. He's a jealous God. He wants what is his. And we are his. And prayer is a great way to see this align in our lives, that we can demonstrate to him that we are his. Prayer sets our hearts and minds to see the world the way he sees it, as his. But more importantly, it sets our hearts and minds to see the people of this world the way he sees them. God wants our hearts to break like his done when he sees the unsaved people of this world in rebellion against him. God is a jealous God, and that means he wants all of his creation, those of us who are speaking to him daily and those who don't want anything to do with him, to return to him. So this brings us to verses 5 and 6, which they walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. This portion is about talking to people about God. The Bible is clear that we all have the calling to tell people about Jesus. The book of Matthew ends with what is known as the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. The only way to make disciples is by talking to people about who Jesus is. Paul says in verse 5 that we are to walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of time. How do we display wisdom to the world? Well, the Bible tells us in Proverbs 9, 10, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. We have wisdom when we know who God is and what he represents. He is the creator of the universe. He is the master of all things. And when we know that, we get a reverent fear for him, and we begin to have wisdom. And wisdom, I don't know if you knew this, but is in terribly short supply in this world. The world desperately needs wisdom. And God is the source of all wisdom. 
the more time we spend with God, the more of his wisdom we have to offer. And this verse also makes it clear that we are not simply passive in our endeavor. We need to be making the best use of our time. No one is promised tomorrow. We need to have an urgency to share with the world the hope that is within us. But we can't be belligerent jerks who are mad at the world for screwing everything up. While that might be true, we've done a lot of screwing up on our own, but we really have to be filled with God's love as we're talking about his truth. We need to let Christ shine through us more and more each and every day. Do we proclaim truth? Absolutely. But we must be doing so in love. We need to be attractive to the world, seasoned with salt. Jesus spoke some of the hardest truths in the Bible, but he still drew massive crowds to himself every time he spoke. The more we are in prayer to God, the more Christ will be evident in our lives, in what we say, how we say it, and why we say it. If we do not know God well and are actively being transformed into his image, how could we ever hope to convey this message to those who are lost and in complete darkness? We must first be in the habit of talking to God about people before we can hope to talk to people about God. So, good news, it's a shorter message this week. I was only given five verses, so that's all the preaching there is, but this is a practical message. It's all about praying and praying to God and talking to him. So we're going to spend some time in prayer. I want you to think about what we talked about. I want you to be thankful in it. Maybe you can use the Lord's Prayer as like a roadmap in what you should be praying. You should be praying for people, for their ministries, for Good Shepherd, and be listening for whatever God lays on your heart to pray for. We're going to spend some time in this, and then I'll come back up and pray and dismiss us.
So that was just a few minutes in prayer. If that felt long to you, then that's where the challenge of expanding your prayer life is a good challenge that is hopefully easily met. If it was short, awesome. Keep going in prayer. Continue steadfastly. I'm going to pray to dismiss us. And after um, we're dismissed, the prayer team will be down front. Um, it's just a good opportunity to get prayer like we've been talking about. So if you'll join me now, I'm going to pray us out. Lord God, we do thank you that you are a good God. Lord, that you have given us so many great and wonderful things, Lord. Lord, we ask that as each of us leaves here today, Lord, that you would be stirring in our hearts. Lord, that we would be seeing prayer as a conversation. We'd be listening, hearing your voice, responding to it, Lord. Lord, that we'd be eager to seek you in prayer each and every day. Lord, I pray for the different callings in this place, Lord. The, the tasks, the duties that you've put in front of these people, Lord, I pray that you would help them to fulfill those duties. Lord God, be with Good Shepherd. Help us to bring your word and your truth. Lord, you are so good. You are so great. Lord, let us be willing and able to share with any who ask your hope and your good news. We love you, Lord. You are good. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you.